This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 447 for March 11th, 2015. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Macworld Podcast. Boy, do we have a lot of things to talk about today. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld, and with me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hey, Glenn. How's it going? Well, uh, n- not much is happening, I guess, so uh, <laughs> yep. that's the end of this podcast. Slow um, day. Bye. Oh, my gosh. Bef- <laughs> before we get before we get to the, the main news, I want to do follow-up very briefly. Is Last week, I realized in listening back to the podcast, I said that Apple got, you know, 5% of a transaction with Apple Pay, and I meant that as sort of an abstract thing. Like, they get a small percentage. Apple actually gets 0.15% reportedly of the transaction value, so 15 cents from every $100. So in case anybody was thinking that Apple was making a fortune, that was kind of my point. And all the other folks in that position will likely make uh, a very similar, very, very tiny slice, which covers costs and kind of gives them lock-in, but it's not going to be a massive profit center, even if they uh, handle billions of dollars given the infrastructure costs. So that's clear. Good fix. That went right by me. Whoosh, I didn't even notice until I listened to it again. I said, what did I say? I didn't mean to say that. 0.15%. Uh, so uh, apparently something was happening down there at the Yerba Buena Center in San Francisco yesterday from my lofty post in Seattle. I was able to watch every close-up in detail, but you were on the spot, Susie. I uh, was. What, what, what the heck happened uh, on, uh, on March 9th? Well, we had a pretty good little event down there at Yerba Buena. Um, It was really nice. Uh, I'm glad that it wasn't just the Apple Watch. I sort of thought going in that it would just be the Apple Watch. Um, we'd heard the the MacBook had been teased by 9to5Mac, but then usually if something big like that is going to happen, it'll pop up in like Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal or somebody else besides just 9to5Mac, which is a great site and they scoop everybody all the time and more power to them. But I just hadn't heard any other confirmation. So I went in thinking like, oh, this is going to be Apple Watch. I hadn't gotten a chance to see it in September, so I was excited just for that. But then, uh, yeah, it was a lot more. Um, Apple announced Research Kit. They announced the new HBO Now streaming service, which will be exclusive to Apple for three months. And also the new MacBook, which is a really big deal. Um, this re- reminded me a lot of the first MacBook Air that came out that, you know, like kind of blew everybody away with its crazy form factor. Oh my gosh, it's so thin. It fits in a manila envelope. That's wild. But, yeah, it had a lot of trade-offs. It had that weird little trapdoor for the USB port. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember that thing? And the, the, the keyboard <laughs> didn't light up. And there were just a bunch of kind of little, like, the battery life. Quirks. I mean, the, the battery life, I was like, if you can't use it, you can't – There's no. there was no MagSafe – to, oh, remember back then, air, airplanes had, if they had power, there was this weird special airport airplane yeah, power thing. I still have there one of no, those somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so people would rig up, they would actually cut MagSafe connectors and like reconnect them to those. And so you, you couldn't even get a charge that would last you across uh, a single cross-country flight. So tons of trade-offs in the original MacBook Air. Yeah, so although this new MacBook looks really cool and I got to use it and I was impressed, I th- really think that next year's <laughs> or the year after is going to be great. Because with that second gen MacBook Air, like fixed everything. So, yeah, let's start with the MacBook. I mean, yeah. that's what's funny is the watches got attention again, but we didn't hear much new about it. And we'll, we'll get into that. And you had hands on time with the watches as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the MacBook, I, you know, it's funny. I keep saying MacBook Air. I think we had to run a correction, right? Because yeah. uh, it, it, we're all thinking it's a MacBook Air, but there's now the lineup is for the moment is uh, the sort of standard resolution, standard definition. Uh, MacBook Air, there's 11 and 13 inch. We have got the MacBook Pro, which is now Retina, and all the MacBook Pros are Retina, right? Is the uh, yeah? Do they still sell that non-Retina MacBook Pro? I can't. Remember. I am trying to remember if they took that. Out. I should look at the lineup because they also last. Or they also announced refreshes to the MacBook Air quietly. This wasn't announced on stage, but Apple announced uh, a refresh, minor refresh to the MacBook. Air and MacBook Pro. Yeah. So, uh, no, all the MacBooks that I, all the MacBook Pros I'm seeing are now Retina. So I don't know if that was still on sale yesterday. So you can get mm. a very thin, very small MacBook Air with multiple ports. Oh, they're for... still selling one non Retina 13 inch MacBook Pro. Oh, that's interesting, but they don't list it. That's funny. So they don't list that on the promotional site. Yeah, it you only have to shows... click into the store. And so there you can it still is. get that. Oh, that's interesting. They're keeping the SKU alive so they can sell it. So you've got. Uh, you know, sort of three lines now, though. The MacBook, they said they reimagined it. It's kind of a, 
it's got aspects of both. It's Retina, but it's also um, MacBook Air-like, but it's not yeah. a MacBook Air. So this this introduces. Now we have three for the moment. We've got three different laptop lines, all of which have different trade-offs. Yeah, the MacBook is back, um, and yeah, I think that it was smart for them not to call it a MacBook Air because even though it is thinner and lighter than the MacBook Air. Um, it's just so different. It's it's really more like an iPad that's a computer. You know, like it runs OS ten. It does all the stuff <laughs> you expect a Mac to do, but it's very self-contained. It's more, you know, just a, an appliance on its own, like the iPad is. Like you can't plug that much into an iPad. You can charge it. You can, you know, plug a few things in with adapters and stuff, but it's mostly wireless connections and, you know, doing things the new wireless way. So, yeah, that's kind of what this MacBook is. So it's not for everybody. It reminds me a bit of the Mac Mini at one level because when the Mac Mini came out, it was pretty clear they'd reverse engineered the innards of a whatever MacBook model was out at the time. Mm -hmm. And they said, what if we stuck a MacBook in a desktop computer that could then have external monitors? So it wasn't an iMac. It wasn't an all-in-one. It was kind of like retrofitting. And it wasn't a laptop because it would have uh, more power and you know more capability, more ports, among other things. So it fit uh, for switchers. They wanted people to plug this into their existing array of keyboards and monitors and, and other stuff that would work with Windows, say. And this kind of has the same feature. They're like, okay, we already made one kind of laptop. We're going to make a different kind and kind of rethink what's going to go in it. So they, you know, they re-engineered the motherboard, uh, but it's it, and it has aspects of what they learned from the iPad, including stick batteries in every cubic millimeter you have yeah. in the thing. I, I was joking on Twitter that this is really a, a very large battery with a computer that happens to be attached because it's mostly battery. Pretty Most much. Most of the weight is battery. Yeah, they said that instead of going with um, rectangular battery cells, which obviously need to be in a rectangular enclosure, they thin the battery cells down to these little sheets so that way they can terrace the sheets to fit in all the nice, graceful contours in this new all-aluminum case. Like, they don't even have the plastic hinge on the back with the antennas on it anymore. It's metal all the way around. It's really good-looking. Um, the gold one is really nice. It's not, like, flashy gold. It's the same kind of gold that you'd see in the iPhone 6 and in the new iPads. So, you know, a nice, subtle gold. It's just a you know a gold tone instead of the silver tone where you were used to seeing from aluminum Apple products. Well, the port, the port thing seems to be the big thing because Retina, we've seen Retina before. This is the X edition of a Retina. I mean, we've, we've seen Retina laptops and I've been actually, over the last few years, I have a mid-2011 MacBook Air and I've been very carefully not working with any Retina laptops <laughs> because I worry the minute I do, I'm ruined and then my screen you will are, look awful. totally ruined. Yeah, I remember the first time you use an iPad with Retina and you're like, oh my, or I've looked at an iPhone 3 something recently and I'm like, how did I ever work on this? This is like someone drew on the screen with crayon. So... <laughs> But, totally. but we know, but we know Retina. I mean, Retina has been out. We've seen what that looks like, and this is great to have in that form factor. They um, there's some new manufacturing techniques they're using. Uh, well, actually, they're doing two interesting things on it for battery life, right? So one is they've uh, reduced even further the sort of the distance or the the intermediary stages between the uh, the LEDs and the uh, or the what's it the OLED screen? Did we figure that out? It's an OLED screen. Oh, let me check. I'm trying to remember if it is. I don't think so. They no, I think it's they, regular. But so yeah, but they there's, never said there's, OLED. Yeah, there's even less. I mean, that's this kind of they they, they like Apple likes thin, less slim, as little as possible. The same way just a fraction over two pounds and so that's one of the things right is that the screen is now even closer so without as many intermediate stages the more you remove the brighter everything seems and i think more um saturated or, or vibrant but it also means you need less uh you have to apply less voltage essentially to get the same uh output uh brightness so that mm -hmm. reduces battery length the other thing i i heard you talking about that on the uh, you can watch the macworld video with you talking about the uh the macbook and uh the LEDs for the the keys have changed even. That's sort of fascinating to me that they went to that effort. Every single key has a tiny LED inside, so it'll just light up that one individual key. So, I mean, I didn't play with that very much in the hands-on area. I was mostly focused on the new um, trackpad and the new keyboard. So these are totally different. The trackpad doesn't actually move anymore. The trackpad yeah. that you're used to on the MacBook you, Air or Pro you use now kind of hinges at the top. So if you click it at the top, 
um, it, it moves a little bit. And then if you click it at the bottom, it moves more because the hinge is at the top. So this one has no hinge at all. And you can still click it, but it's a fake click. It's a force, it's a, a haptic engine click. So the click that you're feeling is being made by little um, motors underneath. So it's it's pretty cool. And then you can still tap and it's also pressure sensitive. So you have the tap, you have the click, and now you have a new one called the force click. So that's if, you know, if you're going to click and then you just keep pressing. Um, it felt a little weird when I was force clicking things on the watch because usually on a touchscreen, if you're, you know, pressing hard, that's because it's not registering your touches. <laughs> so it almost feels like you're like, yeah, work, work. And like you're pushing it really hard. But with the trackpad, since I don't have that, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to like touch a touchscreen really hard, you know, mental block. It, it felt more natural on the trackpad. So, and they're doing really cool things with it. That sounds like a great reason to go into a, an Apple store when these come out is to, before you even think about buying one is just to see how that feels. I'm really curious what it's going to be like because I can't, I, I've used some things with haptic feedback before, but there usually is something you hold in your hand as opposed to something that's like on a surface you're underneath it that you're pressing against. So I imagine it's going to be a very different feel. Yeah, it was so subtle that I had to kind of get out and read other people's articles to kind of realize what had happened. Um, when I think of haptic feedback, I think of, yeah, like holding a video game controller or a phone or something and it buzzes and I'm feeling something. And that's not what this is. Like it, it, it ends up feeling very natural like you're used to now and your brain doesn't register that like something just happened because it really feels like you're just clicking like normal. Um, there's talk before that Apple might bring this to the iPhone or, uh, you know, at some point. And there are other smartphones or smartphones that have tried haptic feedback to give that sense of like key clickiness. And I remember using one and it is surprising if it's done well. And and I wonder if this is again, I, I feel like this MacBook is testing some ideas and the, mm -hmm. the force, force feedback thing seems like the, the taptic touch seems like um, an experiment that yeah. maybe this is something they bring elsewhere once they've tested it out. Yeah, I mean, it's in the watch, it's in the new MacBook, so mm -hmm. it'll be really interesting to see where it pops up next. Maybe there'll be another, a next generation, like, standalone Magic Trackpad, or they'll, you know, roll it out to other um, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro models over time. Um, so, yeah, that was really interesting, and the, the Force Touch worked, or the Force Click worked really well. I got to try it to um, quick look a document. And uh, you can force click on an address to look at it on a map. You know, you get the little pop-up windows like you would if you were quick looking something. Um, and then in QuickTime, you can force push on the fast forward button and it'll fast forward faster and faster and faster the, the harder you push down. And then, you know, you ease up on that pressure a little bit and it goes right back to play. So that's really kind of neat. And I mean, I don't really watch videos in QuickTime that much. But um, this is all software controlled. So if, if, you know, developers get to use this, we could see some really cool things. Well, I was thinking you could use it for drawing with your finger more effectively too. Yeah, I think Apple mentioned like, that. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's yeah. going to be cool. And that's something if they can tap into it. I mean, the trackpad isn't very big uh, in scale, but again, it's kind of another tool that travels with it. Yeah, it's so, a lot bigger. It's it's huge. <laughs> like it takes oh, up the whole, the whole space bar and then all the way over to the command key that's to the right of the space bar. Like it, it's that whole thing. And then it's basically top to bottom on the, the, the kind of chin of the, the keyboard. Um, it's, it's, it's bigger. So even though the computer itself is thinner, the, the trackpad is bigger and the keys of the keyboard are actually bigger too. They, they reduce the space in between them. So even though the keys, uh, the keyboard is, is shorter from top to bottom, so the keys don't travel quite as far, they made them larger. So it still feels like you have all this room on this keyboard to stretch out and really type. And you can type really, really fast. They replaced the scissor switch mechanism that we know from the current Apple laptops with this new butterfly switch that kind of, um, it goes up and down from the middle. But so if you hit the left or right side of the key or the top or the bottom or just anywhere besides the middle, it still only goes up and down. Scissor switch keys can kind of tilt a little bit if you don't hit them straight on. So that is gone. That little wobbly feeling is gone from the new MacBook keyboard. And just the keys being a little bigger, it's it was really nice. Um, usually you think, oh, they're going to change the keyboard. It's going to take me a while to get used to, and then I won't notice anymore. But, you know, I opened a, a blank note document and started typing, and it felt really, really good. They missed an opportunity. They could have advertised it as 
float like a butterfly key. Yes. Or no, I say float, float like a butterfly, sting like a key. <laughs> That's too awful. Something there's, there's a slogan in there somewhere. Well, you know, what's funny there's is like I've five heard marketing the, people in Cupertino in a conference room right now being like, float like a butterfly. Like, what's the like, end what of that? Like, sing, typing like the key. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Greatest of all time, yeah. Muhammad Ali. Thank you. Uh, the so the uh, I have a scissor switch keyboard that's probably ten plus years old. I have a loud keyboard and a soft keyboard at my desktop machine. Mm-hmm. My loud keyboard is a Matthias, and I'll be reviewing in the near future their ergonomic split keyboard uh, for for this fine publication, MacWorld. Uh, and the but the scissor key one I have is actually pretty good. It doesn't tilt, and it's um it's very very quiet. And I'm I've been touch typing for over thirty five years of my life so far, and I'm really curious what it's going to be like to try this thing. I'm really particular about keyboards. And this comes back to a point I think we'll make again and again, too, is uh, I think this is so different. Uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, I, I was joking for years. I just want a MacBook Air with Retina. And the minute they ship one, I'm just going to like, I've pre-ordered it. I'm just waiting for it to come into stock. And this is not a MacBook Air. Yeah, you were it's like, a lot well, of changes. I don't know about this one. Yeah, so I want to try it out. And it's, I almost, you know, I want to go into a store and spend a half an hour typing. And because I actually get some, for keyboards, a key, a keyboards with a lighter type touch, including the scissor key one that I already have, I find it, uh, that I get uh, finger fatigue more rapidly with a hard touch with the Matthias. I love that original keyboard action. Yeah. It feels better to me. So I, I'm curious. Right back up. Yeah. And I just like, I actually use a fair amount of force. Some people just, I mean, look, I've gone through multiple keyboards over years. Like the keys are worn off. My kids were looking at my MacBook Air and saying, what's, why are you seeing the light through there? I'm like, well, I've worn down the A's, A kids. The mm, A is gone. Man. There's no that left in it. Uh, Daddy so writes that's a lot. Daddy types. Daddy types. He doesn't drink. He types. Uh, so the um, drinks only seldom. So another big deal, so big that I wrote an entire article about it that you can find at MacWorld.com is uh, that's called Thunderbolted. Is about the all-in-one port. I have some things to say about that. Can I? Can yes. I, uh, spool out. Well, so when the first MacBook Air came out, as you noted, it kind of freaked people out the number of ports or the, the lack of ports that were in it. And people wondered, how do I do the normal stuff I do when there's no Ethernet port? There's no, I don't think that Firewire, it had, um, yeah. you could get an adapter to do Ethernet. There were like, there were compromises, but it was like, oh my gosh, can I really use this? And of course, people adapted and Apple added and shifted ports a bit and then added some accessories. And when they added Thunderbolt to the MacBook Air, I think that's part of when it grew up. Well, actually, it had display port. I think it had display port first, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering right. I don't think Thunderbolt came before DisplayPort, but I may be wrong. But uh, but I know that the model I have, the mid-2011, the fact that I can drive a large external monitor when I need to is a great advantage. And I can basically do everything I need to do between, with all the ports that are available. And, and this is a reinvention. And I realize there's kind of two major categories of users. It's not that these aren't the exclusively, of course, there's many different ways in which people use a notebook, but I'm a, like a nomadic portable computer user. So I think of myself as a desktop user that carries a computer around and uses it in different places. So I carry the brain, but at home I've got two monitors and a Mac. Well, actually I use a Mac mini mostly at home. And at some point I was going to transition when I could support two monitors off a, a laptop to that. So my Mac mini is kind of my home setup. And then I take my MacBook Air to an office and I plug it into a monitor and a keyboard and everything else. When I'm on the road, the MacBook Air is my portable brain, but that's a small part of what I do. There are other users who are really primarily mobile users. They almost never plug anything in, an external monitor or anything. They might plug in a keyboard or mouse sometimes, but they don't have a, a docking station. This is their computer. It's all they use and all they do. They don't need anything else. And I want to say the MacBook is designed for that person more than the portable office person for now. And the USB-C port is part of that because uh, it's... You know, Apple likes simplicity and they wanted to get something thin and connectors are actually one of the reasons that they couldn't get any thinner because there's a finite limit. Like if you have a USB type A, that the rectangular connector we're also familiar with, it's deep enough or it's, I mean, in multiple directions, but it's tall enough that you can only have a minimum thinness that's bigger than it, plus the padding you need, plus the roundness of the computer. So the USB type C is, is close to, it's only about, I think uh, it's 50% taller than lightning for the uh, the uh, opening that goes into. And um, that's a big difference. So you don't need to have as thick uh, a space to fit it into. Um, the other thing is Apple's coming at this very early. So right now, even though USB, well, we'll talk about the standardization, but there isn't 
uh, much in the way of peripheral or, or attachment devices that directly support USB-C. And they're shipping a few adapters. But if you're somebody who needs specific adapters, like you need DisplayPort, well, here's a funny thing. You look at the specs, it says native DisplayPort 1.2 output. Apple doesn't sell a DisplayPort adapter for this. Yeah. So it's native, but you can't use it. It's um, <laughs> They will. They have, yeah. They will. Well, the, so the, the thing that's going to... like ha- a coming soon. Like they should put it up on the I store know. and just be like, it's not shipping for a while, but it exists. Because right now people are like, what? Like no Thunderbolt? Monitor, like I can't even plug in this Thunderbolt monitor you sold me, Apple. Yeah, right. And you, you have can a once monitor. there's a DisplayPort adapter, but there isn't one right now. So it's it's very strange that they put two different AV adapters in the store that you can order, and they didn't put in one that you can't order. I don't know. Maybe they don't even know what it's going to look like yet. But that's well, I strange. I think this is part of the s- the signaling too is that the early users for this are going to be the mobile type yeah. because if you need a monitor, you know it'll do HDMI so you can play movies from it. It'll do VGA so you can connect for presentations, and that's kind of the thing right like th- that's what they're giving mm-hmm. you and a lot of dis- uh, a lot of uh, presentation display things uh, projectors I know there's a word for it other than presentation display thing that's a fancy <laughs> word for a projector they now have HDMI input so I was just uh, doing a presentation where it did not have uh, DVI it only had HDMI and VGA of all things so they're sort of meeting a corporate market there if you, so they'll yeah. sell those first those are $79 to get a pass-through USB-C either HDMI or VGA, and then also a type A rectangular connector for all the other stuff. So we're early on. So here's the thing about standards though. Like this is, we should talk about this a little more because um, this is my essay is about my thought piece at a think piece is that this is kind of what happened to Firewire is that Apple needs a high speed peripheral standard because they have power users and power users are not the bulk of the Mac buyers, but they are probably a good hunk of the profit. So a Mac Pro, even if it's a relatively small part of the market, it's still, they make a lot of money in every Mac Pro. The high-end iMacs are now so powerful that those are power user and professional user computers, and they make a lot of money off every iMac, every 27-inch iMac and so forth. So they they need a high-speed peripheral bus. And, you know, it was USB 2 was not fast enough. They adopted FireWire because the industry didn't adopt USB 2 quickly enough for their liking and Apple wanted to control spec at that point uh, you know under this the early Steve Jobs return why would he give control to someone else so firewire was sort of you know between Sony and them and maybe another company or two they kind of could help control its destiny and they boosted you'll get firewire 400 megabits per second then 800 then firewire sort of tapped out and it didn't do display and it was sort of complicated Intel came to them with uh, Light Peak, which Apple markets as Thunderbolt, and they were able to get that in it's kind of before the rest of the industry. They're on early, it's a 10 gigabit per second standard. Then they got the 20 gigabit per second, like, you know, like, all right, this all seems inevitable. But I think there's a point at which you are so far outside what the industry has adopted. So Light Peak and Thunderbolt did not become the mainstream technology. USB 3 did, because while Apple makes most of the profit in most of the businesses that it's in, it doesn't ship most of the units, right? And I think this is where it comes out, where if you have a billion people sh- or buy a billion units that have USB 3 in it, it's much cheaper to make USB than you have 10 million units with Thunderbolt. And there were also licensing issues and you know other stuff going on with Thunderbolt that seemed to deter people from uh, companies from adopting that, as well as them seeing the markets. Like, look, I know there's 10 million Mac users with or however many, million, 100 million with uh, lightning ports, but I got a billion over here. And I think I'm going to go with the billion because it's not like a, there's more apps for one platform than another issue. It's more like, actually, these people all do want USB 3 peripherals. So I'm much more likely to sell in that market. That's my, I'm sorry, I'm ranting a little bit, but I think I think that's where we're at is that USB 3, it's not that it won, it's not that it's a superior standard. Uh, it's, it's not, there's no characteristic that you can say USB 3 is better or worse than Thunderbolt for most people. There's some really specific techie things that I think you would say. But USB 3 as an approach in the overall marketplace, it lets Apple not have to be responsible, right? Like yeah. they do not have to be responsible for shepherding a standard through. Yeah, they got other problems. They got, a lot go- they got a lot going on. So USB-C as a subtype is very interesting because it was USB 3. So USB-C is like a connector style. Like it's a it's like a transit physical format, right? And so USB-C can, can, can encapsulate all the previous USB standards. So USB like 1.0, I forget, maybe not 1.0, but 
maybe even 1.0, all the way up to 3.1. Mm-hmm. So you can run all those under it. It also, the Visa, uh, VESA or VESA group that handles DisplayPort, they did an arrangement uh, last September when USB-C was, uh, was shown off in first production use of it with uh, an actual um, you know, uh, production equipment before it had shipped, but they were doing demos. And then again at CES, the group that controls DisplayPort worked out the way with the USB 3.0 Oh, 3.0 Implementers Forum, I think it's called. Um, <laughs> there's funny names that group. They worked that away so you can encapsulate, as in Thunderbolt, DisplayPort inside of USB-C. So you can run it in there, and uh, it means not having to have display manufacturers build a new standard in. They can essentially build USB-C in as a connective me- measure that will carry all the USB and carry DisplayPort, and it was a very clever approach. So you have this kind of unifying thing. And Apple, according to some reports, Apple had like 18 engineers working on the USB-C group that was part of the implementation. More engineers than any other company. There were dozens of engineers involved to come together, and they made it happen. So USB-C can carry up to 100 watts of power, has bi-directional power, so you don't. it's not just uh, you can take power from an adapter to the uh, port on the Mac- MacBook and then split that port out with an adapter and charge other devices from it. You don't have to go through a motherboard or a hub to charge, which is a seems subtle, but it's a big thing. And um, it's going to be the universal standard. It's what everyone's going to support. And the, oh, USB 3 is what everyone's going to support as a universal peripheral bus. There'll still be specific uses of Thunderbolt, I'm sure, for the high end. But um, for the connective style, I'm confident that USB-C is going to become the standard for at least four computer interfaces and maybe eventually be the thing that replaces Lightning. I'm sorry, I went on a bit. I have a few things to say about USB-C, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I hadn't really heard much about USB-C at all because I, you know, didn't really need to until Apple said, like, look, this is on your computers. Now you have to, to... know about it. So it's been fun to learn about. And uh, Glenn's piece on Macworld is really good. It's burning up the charts today. So go check that out. We'll put it in the show notes. So the only other thing I would say is it's still not clear. We don't have any guidance from Apple on their Thunderbolt monitor, (laughs) their Thunderbolt display, because the Thunderbolt display they sell seems to daisy chain Thunderbolt and it has to be the last device, but that might mean that it's using display port only. So again, this is a single model. I think it's kind of a test. I think Apple is, you know, maybe they're going to go all in on USB-C, but Thunderbolt can't go away because USB-C can only deliver in this version about five gigabits per second of raw throughput. Thunderbolt in the current implementation, Thunderbolt 2, is 20 gigabits per second, but there's two channels of it and it's bi-directional. So for people who need enormous throughput and storage, USB 3, even in its maximum 20 gig configuration, is not as powerful as Thunderbolt 2. And the USB-C version of US, uh, that's implemented that encapsulates USB 3 can't do that either. So Thunderbolt, I, you know, I, I titled my piece Thunderbolted, but it's Thunderbolt may wind up disappearing from consumer-oriented machines, but I still think there's a strong place for the interim, at least, for people who need high performance. So that's that. <laughs> cool. All right, so uh, that's a, it's funny because this was the watch event, but I think the MacBook was so, I mean, even though we expected it because of the rumors, I think it was still so surprising. There's a lot to say about that. It totally stole the show. It really did. It got more attention on Macworld yesterday. We put up, you know, kind of an equal number of articles about the watch and about the, the MacBook, and the MacBook just ran away with all of it. So, yay, <laughs> Macworld. It's kind of yay. fun. Yay. Well, it is it is called Macworld, there is yes, it? And it is. uh but but now let's uh so watches. Uh Apple Watch was announced almost six months ago. Right, the watch, yeah. And back six months ago, now neither of us were able to go to that demo, uh that announcement or demo, but that that version, uh the hands on part, uh they were essentially showing looped videos on the watches. So no yeah. one outside of Apple and Christy Turlington Burns had yet been able to uh, use it and a few other selected people have been able to get their hands on actual apps. So so we didn't learn, did we learn much new? I felt like there were only a handful of new things we learned during the announcement part. It felt like a lot of recap for those who'd forgotten uh, what was going to happen. Yeah, I ran out of time to go back and watch the old video again, which I was planning to do, so I would know exactly what was re- review and what was new material. Um, but yeah, most of 
of it was review. They went through the thing again. The day in the life demo was kind of cool. They did show like kind of one HomeKit integration. I was hoping for a lot more HomeKit examples. Um, but they did show him opening a garage door with a watch app from alarm.com. Um, that's one of those managed systems that I'm not really into. So um, yeah, I definitely, I still want to see more HomeKit. But um, yeah, the, the big questions that they answered were the battery life and the prices, of course, and the release date. But the rest of it was, was pretty much review. But then when we got into the demo room, like you said, it was uh, like final shipping software. I mean, I guess they could tweak it some more, but it, the watches worked. Um, they even had some third-party apps on it. They had the Uber app. So you can call an Uber right from your phone, and the the poor Uber drivers uh, must have, you know, suffered a lot yesterday <laughs> because oh. it was just you know call it oh cancel it oh are you sure you want to cancel yes of course I want to cancel because I'm here and I'm not going anywhere so um yeah so that was kind of neat you could call an Uber from your from your watch without getting your phone involved. So that'll help if you, you know, are out and lose your phone or um, actually, no, I think you would have to have your phone on. You would have to be paired. I think. Oh, that's right. Because that's going to be I mean, that still comes up. I, yeah. I get people asking about that all the time is that it still seems peculiar. I mean, I know this is the, the 1.0 version, but it still clearly seems peculiar to people that the phone has to be part of the equation, even though it makes perfect sense at this point in time. Yeah, so the, the watch is paired to the phone, but you can have the phone away. Like the, the idea of the watch is that you will be looking at your phone less. So everything is designed to kind of get you in and out. So even the apps that we saw, um, we saw, I saw the SPG app, which is for hotels. Um, it was showing the W Hotel. And you could, you know, get your confirmation number, find out where your room is, and unlock your door all from the watch. So when you get there, you can just waltz by the front desk and not have to check in the old slow way. So that's kind of neat. Um, but it, it, these aren't apps that you're you know, designed to like spend a lot of time in. It's just trying to get you the information you need on one little screen. All the glances are just you know, uh, isolated to one screen, and then you can tap into them if you want to see more. So I really thought they did a great job, and it seemed like they, they put a lot of work in just making it easy to navigate and easy to get just the bare minimum of information that you need and get back out. So like this watch has a lot of features. We have um, the PC World guys here and our site Greenbot have been playing with a lot of Android Wear watches, of course. And when Apple Watch was announced, they were like, wow, this uh, they really threw in all the features. It almost seemed unfocused, like they couldn't decide what you were going to use the Apple Watch for. So yeah, they were like, wow, how is this going to work? I mean, because the best watches don't try to do every single thing. So this is, you know, a watch and it's a fitness device. And they were a little worried about that. But from using it, I feel like Apple did a good job of trying to keep it really simple, even though it can do a lot. Well, it seems like they're trying to capture lightning in a bottle like they accidentally did with the iPhone. Mm -hmm. You know, the original, originally envisioned iPhone, they were going to slowly add apps. I'm not even sure if they had partners in mind, it felt like. And then it was so, there was such tremendous pressure, they caved in, they released the SDK, and we know what happened since. You know, the, the iPhone is more about the apps and the hardware. The hardware becomes indivisible or invisible, and it gets better over time, adds more features, but the apps are the selling story. And that's been the, that was not something, and I think Apple's admitted, it wasn't something they entirely anticipated. So it feels like they're trying to recapitulate that with the watch intentionally by not having too many purposes. They're providing a really capable sandbox. And this 1.0 sandbox is, you know, we talked about this before, people have talked about it ad infinitum, is the 1.0 sandbox is, it's like CarPlay, the phone controls things, it's pushing things, all the third-party apps will have extensions that are essentially pushed to the phone. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a rendered display where some Apple, uh, the Apple OS and some apps that Apple releases will run natively, but a lot of stuff is just going to be pushed as an adjunct from the phone. But we know later this year, developers will be allowed to write software that I guess is going to run. It's going to have some very limited cases, I think, initially, will run on the phone itself. And then, you know, whenever the 2.0 watch comes out, it's going to be a whole, whether 2.0, I mean, that's actually, boy, that's a big question is, 
is it how quickly do they iterate this into being a standalone device? What what do you think in terms of I mean you've been following the since you know you're in this milieu or you know more about the other generations of watches from other makers. Can they iterate this super fast? Are we going to have uh you know in April of 2016 watch 2.0 will it be this fall? Will you know what what's your take on how quickly that's going to change? Yeah, I don't know. I mean we saw with the iPad kind of you know a big explosive growth and then it kind of tapered off a little bit so the watch could do that like it could get a lot of people saying oh hey this is a whole new apple platform like i'm going to check this out but then not upgrading them right away because they don't take all the abuse that a phone does and you know there aren't any carrier subsidies so you're paying full price out of pocket every time and if it still works, it still works. It kind of depends on, you know, if they if they upgrade the OS and then it doesn't support the old watches, like, you know, that would be a bummer. Um, a hard and, time believing they're going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think well, it'll stick around. Well, you got to put the 38 millimeter, 18 karat rose gold case with rose gray modern buckle on your arms. So does it how does it feel 50 times better than the sport? No, that was the thing I liked the most. And that's kind of the theme of my hands-on, which we'll also put in show notes. Um, I tried on, the first one that I strapped to my wrist uh, was the the $17,000 totally top-end 38-millimeter rose gold Apple Watch edition with, yeah, the modern buckle in rose gray. And it was beautiful. And then I started using it, and I forgot all about what it was made of. And then <laughs> later we were doing a video, and they gave me the 42-millimeter Apple Watch Sports in black. And I put that on and started using it. And I was like, oh, hey, it's the exact same watch. So Fascinating. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's usually, like yeah, if you pay action. more, you get more. But in this case, if you pay more, it's really, it just looks different. So I was very relieved that I don't even care about the stainless steel. I think the aluminum looks just as nice. Um, that's So it's a personal preference. Like, don't feel like you have to get the link bracelet. Don't feel like you have to get whatever. Um, the, the floral lastimer band, which is they're calling the sport band, it's... And, you know, it's it's rubber, but it's like fancier rubber. Um, it's nice. I, I thought it would feel all kind of, you know, like a Fitbit band or an activity tracker. And it's just got that kind of cheap plasticky feeling. But it, it, it feels really nice. It's comfortable. It's soft. And then I'm waiting the- to see what the third parties do. Like if there's mm-hmm. other there might be other bands like you don't have to run out and pay four hundred dollars for the fancy Apple band just to dress up your watch yet. We don't know. I'm so, really interested in the link band because it's the adjustability. I wonder if yeah. that will make it more. Like that's that's its selling point is that I don't like to have stuff on my wrist anyway, and I don't know if I want to pay for a link band. But but it does the the cleverness of it and the ability to pull those links in and out so easily mm-hmm. and adjust it like that makes me feel like it'll feel more comfortable. But that's of all the things, that's the only like technological materials advantage that I that yeah. I see. I'm really curious how they're going to sell this thing. You know, I just had uh, I just had breakfast with Ben Thompson. Uh, of Stratechery, or Stratechery, however we pronounce it, uh, who's an <laughs> analyst and uh, writes a great newsletter about uh, mobile stuff. And he's based in Taiwan. And he was the one who, when Apple introduced the uh, gold sheen iPhone, and people in America were largely ridiculing it. A lot of people were thinking, oh, it's ridiculous, and it's bling, and whatever. And it was like, you know, everything in China is gold. It's a, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's a mm-hmm. signifier. We have this as a signifier in America, too. And I don't know why people felt they, they didn't. There's something, I think, that there's something coarse about gold at the same time it's a signifier of wealth and prestige and i think it's embraced more fully in the chinese marketplace and maybe that will shift uh here too i've certainly seen more gold tinged things since and this is actual gold so i suspect that the big market for this is going to be middle east china uh places in which there is no um compunction about it it's like no i want a thing i want the best thing i got the money and it's gold it's gold come on it's gold yeah. and america be like you know be, well the steel one and the functional be like no and and i just i think there's a almost a, 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 a like a reverse perception you're thinking about how other people think of you as opposed to being in a culture in which this is actually, you know, it's, it's thought of entirely differently. It is a measure of prestige. So that's, that's my assumption. I'll be curious uh, how, how they break it out, if they break it out, and, uh, and how that adds up. Yeah, Leah and Caitlin here um, both wanted the rose gold one. And then you know, before we found out that it would be 17 grand, um, they were both <laughs> like, oh, that's the prettiest one. That's the one I want, clearly. So, yeah, and then I was showing them the pictures of it on my wrist. 
And the pictures were, you know, focused on the screen because that's what I was trying to take a picture of. And it was funny. They were, it looks so nice on Apple's site. And then on my wrist, it just looked like an Apple Watch. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's really nice. They did a great job with it. But I'm definitely getting the sport and I'm happy with that decision because I really want the software. Like the software is the cool thing. Um, I'm really interested to see if um, it, you know, if the battery does what it says it'll do and what kind of effect it has on my iPhone battery. Like, will I not need to top off my iPhone on the ride home because I just didn't use it as much during the day? Because, you know, the few things I, I did a bunch of things on my watch instead and. So that'll be kind of nice. Like you sort of have the same amount of fiddliness spread over two devices' batteries instead of just one. Um, that's been kind of a, an offset of Yosemite too. Like I can I can check my text from my computer, which is always plugged in, and don't have to to bother my phone so much. So so yeah, if you just want to get in and see what it's all about, um, the Sport is a great place to start. Totally fine. Um, and then we're going to do a lot of follow-up because I think this story is going to unfold more as people use the watch. I mean, I, I used it for a few minutes, and my colleagues back in September used it for a few minutes. So we have some initial impressions, but it's really going to be like, what, how does this change my day-to-day -day life? So we're going to be doing a lot of follow-ups, probably a video series of just living with the Apple Watch. So if you don't want to you know, go in, all in on the first generation, Take a year and wait and see see you know how it shakes out, and you'll have a better idea next year. Well, and I think a couple of predictions did not play out. One was there is no trade in price, uh, from what I can tell. That's uh, in far. That was probably Mandu. wishful thinking. Yeah, well, there you know it was interesting. There was a lot of debate, uh, a lot of debate uh, ranging beforehand because some people said, "Hey, look, you know." High-end watch stores don't do this. High-end watch brands don't. And then several people who know the industry or own these watches said, no, no, that's not true. You can go to a Rolex store. There are dealers to do this. You can get trade-in. You can get If you spend more than $1,000, they'll give you this value and whatever. And then there's the secondary market for you know for sales. But there, there was more dispute about whether that happened or not. In this case, um, Farid Manju at the New York Times, he confirmed in a tweet, I don't think I've seen this elsewhere, but I didn't read 100% of the coverage, that there is no, you know, he said, you don't upgrade it. Just like you don't upgrade uh, do a trade-in for Mac Pro with Apple, you don't do a trade into the watch. The watch is the watch and, you know, there'll be secondary markets. Mm -hmm. The other was, were they going to build boutiques inside the store, especially when they're going to have something that costs 10 grand or 17 grand, uh, you know, at the top end, uh, how are they going to actually sell that? There, there was concern too, like, how are they going to ship these things to stores? It's a lot of money in a compact Sp compact space and it's highly fungible you know you'd be able to sell those smuggle them overseas so uh, but it sounds like they're just going to have they showed this typical display which i think they had set up in the demo area too they had a version of it of yeah. what will be in the apple store and it's kind of like it's a it's a you know a bunch of watches and they'll have to get someone to help you uh test them out but um but they're just going to sell it's i'm sort of stunned but it seems like they're going to sell their ten thousand and seventeen thousand dollar models and fifteen thousand, the same way they're going to sell the three fifty ones. Yeah, they said that the Apple Watch Edition would be in limited quantities and in select stores, so it might not be in every single Apple store. So it kind of depends. Like here in San Francisco, we have several Apple stores. I'm sure the Apple Watch Edition would show up at the flagship one, which is kind of in a construction zone right now, which is a bummer. They're building a new one over on mm. Union Square, but um. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a couple other. There's like an Apple store out at the mall. Um, I kind of doubt that that one will have the Apple Watch edition. Oh, it's so just a you little have to go store. to a, a giant glass cube is where you'll get those. Well, they do yeah. have, they, they have room for it. Maybe they'll have a special area. But I'm wondering, I don't know if they have guards at the stores already, but, you know, suddenly you have. They do. It's a lot. Yeah, so it's so maybe this isn't as big a change. Um, I'll also note that uh, uh, Angela Arntz from uh, their uh, retail head did not appear on stage, which I was surprised by for you know two reasons. One is Apple has a paucity of female executives, so she's the only one currently, I believe. Um, and second, uh, it seemed like there's a retail direction that Apple's taking with this product. It's going to have a high resale presence, and I thought they might bring her out to talk about the retail experience and they did not. So I don't know. I was, uh, I think I was disappointed on both fronts, um, partly because she's bringing a lot of expertise about a realm that Apple hasn't been involved with. And I, I wish they'd tap that in an event in which that was partly focused. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little, a little weird. A lot of people were hoping that she would be on stage. I don't think I've seen a, a woman who worked for Apple on stage. I think I've seen 
uh, women come up with developers before who are you know there to demonstrate apps, but I don't I think I've ever uh, seen Roz a, Ho from Microsoft Mac Business Unit, decade or more ago, tum, you know, coming up there. Yeah. But it's it's very far few feet. It's disappointing. I mean, I know we're in the tech industry, but uh, you have somebody in the company who actually would be a bit appropriate. I was actually, un, you know, unrelated to anything else. I would have been happy to hear how they were going to merchandise it because these events are intended both for the public, but also for analysts and and uh, for the industry, and um, that was that was too bad. Uh, there was one other thing. Oh yeah, you know the health kit side of things. I think I don't know if, if I expected that they would say, oh, and it also does these additional health measurement things. But we didn't get anything there. We got um, they talked about research kit, which is unrelated to to the watch per se, uh, as a as something from the uh, medical and scientific realm that's very interesting, and we'll hear more about that, I'm sure. But uh, th- there's this meme going around that that Apple dropped a bunch of features at the last minute that were supposed to be integrated into the watch, like uh, blood pressure measurement and so forth. And I think the analysis I've seen is there's no way in which they're dropped last minute, like before the previous uh, announcement six months ago, because the production cycle is such they were dropped a long time ago. And Apple's always, they're always looking at different things they can put in. And maybe they looked at 15 different health measures, but it is, it does seem odd how little health kit was discussed um, in in terms of the watch and it it doesn't it feels more like a, a a good exercise band upgrade than something that's a real health monitor at this point i wonder i wonder if you found that missing as well well the i think that the features that show up in the apple watch as far as health and fitness features are really more universal kind of things like everybody needs to move more everybody needs to be nudged to not you know sit all day and that's something that would help us all. But blood pressure and you know some of those other examples, those are really important for some people. But to to get that sensor into every single watch and you know have it have it working up to Apple standards, might just cost too much in the in the money. It, it, it might cost too much. Um, it, it might take up too much space in the watch itself. And for something that's only going to be used by like a small subset of people, like you can get blood. pressure pressure monitors that work with your phone. We've reviewed a couple on Macworld. And so, yeah, if you need blood pressure, like that's already kind of out there, but I feel like a lot of people don't really need it. So like if it, if it was in my Apple Watch, I would, you know, probably use it once for the review and then, <laughs> and then stop using it because I, you know, I don't, I'm blessed with good blood pressure and it just doesn't matter to me to track that particular metric. But yeah, I do want to know like, you know, that I've been sitting for four hours and I need to get up and walk around a little bit. Well, I have something I want to file under claim future claim chowder, which is, uh, uh, I, I wrote this essay on my own blog uh, a couple months ago, several weeks ago about, um, which I think I've mentioned previously, that was, uh, the iHub that was, uh, the iWatch is the center of your life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I said, and this is based partly on a couple decades watching the chip industry and, and more closely a few years ago in the wireless space is I think it's going to be two years from now that we'll have a fully freestanding Apple Watch, that it will be, um, that'll have cellular GPS and Wi-Fi. The cellular might be an older standard, there might be limitations, or there might be some subset of LTE it does that's lower power, something like that, because it won't need, you know, you don't need, the watch is not going to need, you know, a one gigabit per second internet connection, but Mm -hmm. it needs a reliable and stable one that doesn't drain the battery. So I've I've seen people online uh, and people with chip backgrounds say, no, no, it's five years. And, And my take is, I don't know. I don't know the details. I know what Qualcomm and other companies have been working on and know where things are going. And it's amazing what they're already putting in the watch today. But my take is, my logic is not necessarily, I know there's a product and I've been tracking it and, and you know, well, there'll be a, a 10 nanometer process by then and whatever and chip making. That's part of it. I'll, I'll admit that. But the other part is, I don't think Apple would release this watch today if they didn't have a very firm roadmap of where they're going in two years. Because if it's five years until you have a completely freestanding watch, I think it's too long. I don't think it becomes the right device by then. I think they have an evolution in mind where the focus has gone from desktop to laptop, laptop to phone or tablet, and then to watch. And for different parts of the market, uh, different kinds of people, 
one device is going to be the center of their life and it's going to be the thing that they spend most of their time with. For some people, it's going to be the watch, depending on how many functions it has. For other people, it's already become the phone or tablet. I'm still in the laptop phase, but I don't think if Apple thought it was five years out that they would have launched on this now. I think they would have put continue to put effort in mobile and other products and maybe delayed it until they thought there was a better near-term future for it not requiring that iPhone as an anchor. Yeah, um, it was sort of along the same lines as not putting cellular in the MacBook. Um, right, The right. MacBook would be so amazing with cellular, and I just keep waiting. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you can get it online. You just have to tether it to your iPhone. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, they they do that a lot where they kind of, you know, like, assume that you'll just have more than one of these things to use together. Because why wouldn't you? You're an Apple fan. You love it all. You can't help it. So... Um, so yeah, that would be cool. Like I, I saw a GPS, um, standalone, uh, cellular phone watch at CES, not this year, but the year before it was aimed at children. It was called Philip. It could, um, you know, call Hmm. just, uh, you you could program like five, uh, ups numbers into it. So, you know, like your home and work and your spouse's home and work and grandma or something. And then the kid could only call those numbers and then you could use an app on your iPhone to see where the kid was at any time and it was huge and it was ugly and it didn't work very well so they're on version two of that and i think they've improved it a little bit so yeah i mean like the the technology exists for standalone watches but that that are also phones but they're just not that great yet they're definitely not apple quality so yeah i'm sure there's a roadmap where at some point they would converge, but that almost seems like a more like Microsoft approach to have like one device that can do anything. And oh. it's, it's a laptop and it's a Mac, you know, it's a tablet. But I think it's, it's, I think it's a divergence though. I understand. Yeah. I, I, know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think it's a divergence is that it's not one dice device that does it all. It's one device that does a very specific set of things, but it does it all the things it does. It does well. Right. So I don't think the watch would replace the watch could replace a phone. For a lot of purposes, I think not everything, mm-hmm. but, a, but not and not most of the apps. But the watch could replace a lot of what I use my phone for regularly. I could do in a watch. So I'm actually a more ideal. Like if I had a watch and the watch could be tethered, <laughs> it could be my cell phone tethered from my laptop. A watch plus a laptop would be much more life my lifestyle than a phone plus a laptop. So I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting, though. I thought, yeah, because I don't want Apple to make, you know, a Homer Simpson's car either. <laughs> that <laughs> car was awesome. <laughs> do, 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 do. You should have five right. horns and they all play La Cucaracha. Well, I think we've answered every question, of course. But, you know, you can find us at Macworld.com and ask uh, more. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and uh, tell us what you heard this episode you don't like. Put the comments and things you do like, of course, too. Comment on this podcast at macworld.com, and we'll be back next week. Great to talk to you, Susie. Yeah, you too. And this has been episode 447 for March 11th, 2015 of the Macworld Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>